welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Uh, H, have you been using our the state of the world, the the quarantine to catch up on a backlog? Are you finding yourself able to dip into rounds of Picross or, or missions in different <laughs> games in between meetings at work? How are you managing your video game time? You know, I did just beat that uh, Konami Picross game on the phone that everyone's been playing. Oh, there's uh, a Picross it, game on the phone. Yeah, it's called... Um, pixel puzzle challenge or something like that it's it's really good oh it's not it's, it's a, not allowed to be called picross is that owned by nintendo probably yeah <laughs> but it's a it's a very good game um it took me probably uh i don't know maybe a year and a half to get through there's a lot wow. of puzzles but it's all free it's all unobtrusive it's um just a really pleasant picross experience i have to get it because i i've been playing through so season four or s4 or whatever they want to call it came out and I found myself, you know, kind of having regrets that I did not take S3 to its fullest potential. The uh, Jupiter produced ones on the Switch. Yes. So I haven't played through all of S3. So I started doing that again. It's a wonderful little, it has, you know, a New York Times crossword puzzle type mm-hmm. of meditative state. And it's, it's really cool. I've never um, spent a lot of time to fall in love with a Picross before, but I really do love S3. And so hopefully if I can get through it i don't know how many puzzles there are but uh then i'll move on to s4 do you do the mega ones or do you just do the regular ones um i've i've done the mega ones in the past i don't know i think i think i played all the way through s1 and did like all of the different puzzles in there so um yeah i've really got to check back on uh the 3ds was really where my picross phase uh kicked in the the strongest nothing replaces that stylus you know (laughs) yeah no kidding and there's something about i'm surprised that we haven't seen on the more powerful hardware the switch um them leaning more into the 3d picross because that seemed like such a cool idea yeah i'd be uh well up for another one of those anyways let's go ahead and pitch some video games what i'm pitching is just kind of a loose a loose mechanic more than a game in and of itself but we'll see what we can do with it i know that's one that we've referenced before but now i want to build around it um entirely in, instead of just kind of adding it in to a uh, pre-established concept i want to build the concepts around the singular mechanic and um basically i just um i want to see what other types of games we can add star wars episode one racer controls to so that is you know push both sticks forward to go forward you kind of pull one backwards and the other one forward to turn kind of like you're rowing a boat yeah and applying the different pressure to the, the different paddles um, but the best way to um, uh, to kind of understand it is to just think of the two engines of the um, pod racer from Star Wars Episode One, or alternatively, maybe the Katamari controls. But uh, I'm I'm just very I'm very enthused by those controls. I know that that game has recently come to the Nintendo Switch as well. So um, yeah, I just want to see what else we can put it in. I'll go ahead and start the clock there. Um, I like the idea of coming at this. Uh with like uh, ship combat or, you know, you're, you're driving a machine of sorts. So you mentioned rowing and I like the idea of that pulling back and forth to create that sort of rowing sensation. So maybe that <laughs> there's been so many, I feel like forgotten, uh, pitched and then forgotten over multiple E3 pirate games from Ubisoft. <laughs> 
I can't help but wonder if uh, it was something like this would feel at home. Yeah, of course, I've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey on the brain, but I'm thinking about like naval combat now. There was a game called, uh, I'm not going to remember the name. Um, that's going to bug me, but I saw something at PAX last year where there was a, uh, it was a two player police car driving game. And the police car was kind of divided down the middle color wise with the red and blue on either side. And then each player could control like half of the car and you had to work together to navigate around the city. Oh, that's it's cool. a bit different from what we're uh, looking at, but I, I really like the um, kind of cooperative or uh, having a, applying a more difficult control scheme to something that should be pretty easy to turn it into a different type of challenge. Yeah, I can't help but think of a potentially a sequel to Untitled Goose Game, Untitled Something Else Game, where the main control uh, of the the character is a little bit more mechanical and finicky. You could also think of tanks controlling this way or like a Wally type of robot with its little treads. The the treads thing is interesting. That almost makes me think of like the way that these the two joysticks would be connected is by a levers because like one of the other episode 1 racer things if you will that I think is really cool is it putting out fires, right? What is the mechanic exa- I'm trying to think about what the mechanic is where you're putting out fires. Is it just occasionally your engine catches on fire or is there like overheating or something? I think there is an overheating mechanic. And of of course, Sebulba, as he's known to do, will throw a wrench or two into your engine. <laughs> um, uh, poodoo. Absolute poodoo. Um, mm. I think like doing a robot or doing... It almost... It would be cool to have like a mech control that way and almost a mech warrior or a, or an armored core type of series where you have this mech it's controlling uh, you know you're with the two joysticks you're moving a little bit away from that i don't i don't remember the name of that game that is like an entire cockpit of knobs and buttons do you know which one i'm talking about yeah like you- gosh it would have been uh <laughs> mech mech assault mech warrior they all kind of sound the same yeah to me. yeah I, I this one's like i forget it's like st- Oh, Steel Battalion. I think it's yeah, Steel Battalion. It. To be able to take that into account and then you can have the overheating mechanic. And of course, like, what if you bring this into a Star Fox and you go between uh, mech combat and then like, oh, a Transformers game. To- God, I'm all over the place, but I'm thinking about all the things that this maps to. And what if we did a Transformer game where you had the sort of on the ground uh, tank controls that were the two joysticks a la Episode One Racer? But then you could transform and then in midair become a robot or become a flying machine that was had the speed and velocity of the episode one racer stuff. And the thing that would be weapons overheating now becomes your engines and like all the energies diverted. Mm. It could become kind of cool. Oh, that'd be interesting if you have to dispel the heat by way of like the offensive lasers. Yeah, yeah. When and vice versa. If you set it in an environment where destroying things is potentially uh, disincentivized in some way, then you get to sort of the situation where dispelling your light, la- you can't just like shoot off lasers any old time you want. Instead, you're kind of having to really, really be careful with what you do with that extra energy. I was also thinking Star Wars Episode One Racer uh, really depended upon the analog input. Um, you would get the, you know, the analog input of the uh, the levers on the arcade machine, or you could play 
with the with two N64 controllers. It was one of those kind of like GoldenEye where they had an alternate control method where you can hold one controller in each hand and then use each of the thumbsticks in uh, one of your thumb in a, yeah either of your thumbs to um, control both of the engines, uh, which is um, always interesting. I'm thinking now on modern controllers, there are technically four analog inputs um, with the uh, both thumbsticks and then both of the triggers as well are analog. So potentially we can control up to four different things with this very kind of like touch sensitive um, and it could be kind of a balancing act in a way you could be guiding, uh, maybe you're on a, maybe it's like a, not like oh, a yeah. dog racing or something where you have like different creatures kind of leashed to pull your, your sled and you have to individually with each of the, um, analog inputs, guide them through little mazes, keep them from hitting things. I think the one thing that I love about the Forza games, um, both Motorsport and, and Horizon to a certain degree is, you know, when you're playing at a higher level, um, and this is not to say I'm a super pro player here, but when you start to play at a higher level, you realize that not having, you know, your foot to the floor on your pedal is preferred over to just like letting it rip across everything except for other than like straightaways. That's usually pretty safe. So what if you um, what if whatever you're controlling, um, let's say there's still overheating, um, you're using the joysticks to turn like that, but then your your throttle, your speed is you want to keep it within a certain zone to maximize both your engine efficiency um, and your heat usage, right? And so you're encouraged to keep your your hands maybe on both triggers, right? And you're, you know, well, let's not worry about breaking for a second. Maybe there's just like take your fingers off both triggers and that'll like drastically slow you down. But you want to keep your triggers almost like three quarters pulled to really be at the top end of the efficiency mm. spectrum, as opposed to just, you know, so often, you know, basic racing games just treat those things as buttons. Of course, we wouldn't be able to do it on the Switch, right? No analog triggers. So what could we use to disincentivize people from keeping the pedal to the metal? You know, I, I know that overheating mechanics are used a lot, but um, what else could we do that's not overheating? I wonder if we have certain, like, obstacles that if you take them at certain speeds, they do, like damage to your engine and for the like remainder of the race so like you can take certain things that you know at a slightly slower speed you're just kind of scraping up against them or you're able to go around them of course pod racers have that very interesting like just weird electrical bolt connection uh in between um the two engines um maybe there's something to having physical obstacles on there. I guess this is going back to being a racing game. What else could there be if it's not racing? I wanted to kind of circle back to that idea of having to kind of dispel extra heat energy or kinetic energy from, you know, grinding on the ground or whatever it is. That would seem to make me want to put my pedal to the metal more to kind of pull in more of that heat energy or whatever. I wonder if you have like blasters or something if you have your right trigger and left trigger mapped to two different elements like hot and cold you know like fire and ice and depending on the situation or what sort of uh, weapon or damage you want to do you actually want to have kind of a combination of both elements and depending on the mix 
of the elements, you get different effects. So maybe if you have a pure 50-50 on both of them, you if you have do 100% on both, it stalls out your your machine or engine, like it temporarily mm-hmm. disables you uh, after some period of time. This, you actually go maybe three quarters and one quarter, and you get more of like a uh, ice bolt that you're able to fire. And then the other way, you get the flame thrower instead of just like fire that comes out of you. And then you can kind of do like element mixing with the triggers, almost analog element mixing. Or you could gain heat while you turn right and then lose heat when you turn left and you kind of have to balance based on what you need at the time. Oh yeah. uh, So you're constantly like feeding the engine, like one thing or the other, making little circles and stuff instead of, you know, making a three quarter turn instead of just turning left. Anyways, well, we're out of time there. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap that up and give it a name. Um, Hmm. I think if this is a tank combat game, we can call it, um, treadful. (laughs) I was going to call it something like, uh, knobs and buttons or (laughs) buttons and levers. Treadful is cool though. That sounds, that sounds more hip than any of my weird stuff. It reminds me of, I was at a Wendy's and they were advertising, (laughs) they were advertising the strawful waffle. Which is uh, which had strawberries on it, but they they spelled it S T R A W F U L, so it wasn't a pun on waffle. It was right. a pun off of awful, which is like, why would you want that? I mean, truth in advertising, sure, but like, why would you want to evoke how bad your food actually is when you want us to order it? I almost like was thinking, kick it a little bit into the Titanfall space and maybe do Treadfall or something. Yeah, I like it. Strawful, waffle, awful, tread, treadful is dreadful, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, let's move on to one of your pitches. Oh, man. So this is not necessarily, my pitch this week is not to be read into too heavily, but <laughs> I've been playing Gears Tactics. I decided that maybe I like these tactics games. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't, I think we've maybe talked about a pitch like this before, but I started imagining in my head uh, a tactics game, an XCOM or uh, Gears Tactics or Mario Rabbit style game where you are actually having a fight in your relationship with someone. So you almost do like a dating simulator, relationship simulator that is a tactics game. And so you take literally different positions in your arguments and your conversations um, and you try to come to maybe an agreement or a consensus or uh, rectify these arguments through tactical movements and using your turns and action points wisely. So that's the pitch. All right, I'm going to start the clock. I have to lead off by asking, did we pitch, did you pitch specifically something exactly like this before? Hey, even if I did, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> <laughs> it's in. Let's give it a go. Um, I'm curious, you know, whenever I come up with these game ideas, I tend to more of a visual kind of imagination type of person, like envision what a moment of gameplay would uh, look and feel like. Like, what do you, what do you see in your head when you picture this game? What do you see happening? So I, I started looking at, so I went, I found this article on the internet of 11 common arguments uh, that every relationship has uh, and how to avoid them. And so they goes through like money matters and intimacy and spending time apart or lack of communication. So 
I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to have these these play areas or these maps that essentially are physical representations of things like money being a problem? And so now you have a mission where you have to uh, somehow be uh, collecting money as it's like draining away from you and you're just trying to keep up and at the same time uh, keep your partner by your side or, or stay with them and you know, kind of have it more as like an abstract uh, exploration of a distance. Like sometimes, you know, an argument is literally just two people being very far apart on a thing and, you know, a, a stance, uh, a belief maybe, and trying to find ways to come together. And other times, like really big relationship arguments can uh, sometimes be a litany of things from past events mm. you can imagine like a map that is a representation of that time on the beach and that time at my mother's <laughs> house and like all of that sort of stuff to you know create that almost like you're playing uh, you're moving around in a tactic sort of way yeah uh, through your own memories i like this kind of visual representation of Love is a battlefield, in a way, if you will. Uh, you um, took my name pitch. Dang not it. a bad title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to have uh, the different kind of quadrants of the battlefield represent different kind of emotions or yeah. kind of points of uh, kind of vulnerability. And then you can kind of command armies of uh, perhaps like different argumentative tactics. Right. Yeah, maybe they're your own emotions. You do like... Um, Mm. Uh, and, uh, inside, uh, what's the Pixar movie? Is it in, inside? Yeah, in, yeah. Well, inside out, yeah. inside out, you do a little inside out representation of your own emotions and you're really figuring out what they need to accomplish in those spaces or what points they need to be at. I, I think like I, there's something to this that almost feels like it could feel like a, a Catherine game where in the same way that his dreams are representing uh, different things, anxieties, that sort of stuff. And it becomes this puzzle game. I think you could have like the Kaiju uh, partner, husband, wife, whoever, who's um, like lording over the battlefield and maybe they're having an argument. And this is all like how you're thinking through the difficulty in your own head and working through it. I would like if there's a risk of losing your cool, if um, if certain quadrants of the battlefield don't lead to, there could be multiple types of victories, kind of like in civilization. Mm. There could be like the logical victory where like you legitimately convince the other person that you're right, or at least get them to recognize that they're wrong enough to just kind of like shut up and hang their head and walk away. <laughs> yeah. There could be like the compromise victory. Um, there could be kind of a psychological victory where, you know, if a certain quadrant is attacked, then all of a sudden, like your troops become more unpredictable. They might stop obeying you because you're going into a little bit of a emotional frenzy at the time. Yeah, and it could be based on the argument you're having. Maybe there's like a, in between each round, there's actual dialogue, right? And you're choosing your way through some dialogue choices, and that affects the flow of where uh, these enemies or something are going to spawn inside of your battlefield. And as you, you know, I think like we've we've maybe had arguments with friends, family, whoever, a partner before, where 
you realize some percentage of the way through the argument that whatever you thought the victory was going to be has really fallen to pieces. Yeah. Uh, so you have like literal sections of the battlefield collapse, almost Indiana Jones style where tiles are falling away and there's not going to be a logic victory to this. Now you're going to have to find like uh, mm. emotional, emotional stability or like emotional resonance sort of victory. I, I think the biggest thing is it, it would be really nice to figure out. I think even Mario almost had to make this concession a way to do this tactics game without it necessarily feeling like guns on a battlefield with shooting mm -hmm. and like what kind of alt weaponry. I mean, a lot of these tactics games from tactics ogre to final fantasy tend to be in a medieval setting. So you can easily sub in swords and stuff like that. I wonder what is this? <laughs> this is going to sound like <laughs> somebody make a t-shirt of this. What is the sword of the heart? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I wonder if it's just like little, you know, in Gears uh, Tactics, they have like commands like Intimidate um, and, uh, you know, Hunker Down and that sort of stuff. And I, you can imagine becoming entrenched in your own argument in maybe a, an important way or maybe in an unhealthy way. Eventually, it's not good to stay too entrenched for too long with a character. Yeah, there could be a certain um, almost like a Fortnite style or I should say PUBG style border kind of closing in. Maybe mm. there is kind of a central point to the argument and the border is always closing in on that central point kind of turn after turn, but there could be an easier victory for you to get. That's not in that exact portion of the map. And so you have to kind of like take your chances with uh, fighting in a corner of the battlefield that might be closed off pretty soon and, and then that could just be effort wasted but if you can get in there and really do your damage quickly then um you could uh end up winning uh you know pretty um effectively yeah imagine like you are uh if you do in between rounds the conversation that's had or like what's available to you is kind of where your emotions have been positioned within the spaces uh of the the play field and once you also kind of narrow in and make those choices, maybe it determines where the circle is going to be next. So you find yourself, if you don't make really good choices, like good argument choices, maybe you teach people like conflict resolution as a background thing in this. You can actually like affect where the circle is going to close in and find that uh, you have like PUBG and Fortnite, Warzone, all these battle royales, you have certain emotions that find themselves outside of the circle. And if they don't get back in the circle very quickly, you know, that you're going to lose those uh, potentially for, you know, the next argument or the one after that. You like burn a, an argument point of view bridge or an emotional bridge of sorts. So I'm just trying to think about player motivations as well. I tend to think that any argument that does become like bitter and personal and stuff like is a losing argument, no matter who ends up walking away the, the victor, so to speak, yeah. you know, like it's not, it's not bad for a relationship to occasionally get in fights. Like, you know, I think it's good to you know, butt heads every once in a while, but uh, in certain ways it's disagreement is the only way you can actually come together on, on certain yeah, things right. of like, Oh, I didn't even know there was friction here until now. But like, you know, we are kind of encouraging all these situations where you would be trying to, find, you know, emotional vulnerabilities and take cheap shots and stuff to try to get your armies ahead. Like, how do we, how do we spin 
this so that like compromise is perhaps a more difficult short-term solution, but a better long-term one? That's a good question. I wonder if like, depending on like finding compromise means, you know, like some of these tactics games, meeting all your bonus objectives. If you meet your bonus objectives, you get some sort of compromise score. And that actually um, bakes into sort of long-term emotional leveling up. Uh, so (laughs) you're actually like understanding your own emotions a little bit better. Therefore they get new abilities on their skill tree or something, but it's, it's kind of funny to think about, but also at the same time, I think it's, it's an interesting space. I mean, alternatively, and I hate to throw a wrench so deep into the time on this, but this is a potential, very interesting, uh, take on a Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney spinoff. That's true. Well, maybe we can, uh, return to explore some more Phoenix right ace attorney stuff in the future we've got to close this one down uh let's uh come up with a name well i think you said it best i was gonna say it love is a battlefield was the pitch for the name i think it's something that we both liked there easy enough let's move over to the community this pitch comes from ashton herman who says my idea this time isn't so much a fully formed game yet but a system that i think would be great as a part of an open world rpg for a long while i've wondered what somebody could do to make an in-game economy more fun. The Elder Scrolls games have traditionally had skills you could use to barter better or sell more items to vendors. You can even get perks in Skyrim and Oblivion that increase the amount of gold that merchants will have at their disposal to buy items from you. But those systems are rarely ever fun. Money really doesn't ever have that kind of value in games as it does in real life, especially because the best gear in those kinds of games tend to be either found or crafted. So what can we do to make RPG economics fun? Some thoughts I have is that maybe the player needs more economic pressure, or maybe money and experience points could be directly tied to one another. Let's go ahead and start the clock. One thing I want to bring up is a somewhat recent game, from the last couple of years anyways, is Moonlighter, uh, which is a... um, in action RPG, kind of uh, Zelda-like, where you go dungeon diving and then... Um, all the creatures that you slay and the treasure chests that you open drop loot, which you, in your uh, day job as a uh, shop clerk, end up selling in your family shop. And uh, you can set the prices on everything kind of blindly, uh, which is kind of cool. You know, you, you, you know yourself how much trouble you went through to acquire that piece of loot. And you think, I don't know what anything is worth. I'm not a member of this world, you know. It's my first time here. How much are people willing to pay for an old rustic book? Right. And uh, so you put it up for, I don't know, 100 gold. Who knows? And then someone comes in, they're like, this is incredible. You idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see the little dollar signs in their eyes. They pick it up immediately with a big grin on their face, take it to the counter. And you just feel like the biggest sucker. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> now I've learned. Like, that's interesting. I feel like there's um, games that I've ex- that have explored interesting economic systems for selling. I don't know if I've seen similar things for buying though. I wonder if, you know, uh, we've seen in the, the souls born esque series, the idea of um, experience is your currency, right? But mm-hmm. one of the things that a mechanic that you could kind of layer into that is, is potentially that, experience is also your income, right? So just as in real life, as you okay. move up in your career, <laughs> as you gain more experience, uh, you're, you're better paid for things. 
And not so, always, but well, you know, <laughs> right. that's true. That's true. So I, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, right? <laughs> thank you for that. Um, uh, thank you for that. So I, I, maybe there's something we can play with where your income, either how much money you make from quests, or even just how much things cost to you and stuff, actually you get more and more incentives for hoarding experience and not spending it, uh, on things. Um, and it's only with like certain amounts of experience. Can you barter? Can you craft a certain thing? But if you spend it all back on like fighting skills or whatever, you're just a big dumb fighting idiot and you don't know how to make the better armor (laughs) because you have no experience anymore at it. Uh, one thing that I've been really kind of wanting from open world games, especially for a long time now, is an idea of kind of object permanence in a way and of a limited supply in the world overall. Um, One of the things that really excited me about Red Dead Redemption 2 when I started playing that was I would walk into a shop and I would basically see everything that they were selling on the shelves. And that was really cool. You know, I could distract a shopkeeper and steal it and actually feel like I was stealing from the shop, not just like taking an item that was kind of um, decoratively on a shelf to simulate the idea of being in a shop. You know, I was taking a part of their actual limited supply. Mm. But then, you know, I come back a day later and all the shelves are full again. You know, the shopkeeper is still as chipper as ever and it doesn't seem to have notice of the uh you know several thousand dollars of uh of ammunition missing from the shelves it's best supply chain ever yeah it just you know especially for an old west game where everything else was depicted so realistically it was hard to you know it was disappointing that that sense of realism didn't carry over in that in that regard and so maybe there's i feel like in a lot of open world games the skyrims and oblivions of the world it is kind of prevented because they don't want to like close people off in late game from kind of re-specializing in areas they may have neglected before or using things they might have destroyed before you don't want to trap somebody in the late game with literally no more ammo in the world you know Um, there's um, problems around farming as well if if somebody can enter a random dungeon and keep collecting gold then you know you have to have something to keep selling them. Otherwise, like, what's what's the point? Well, I think, to, to your point there, in the same way that it took a really special game and a special series like the, you know, Dark Souls series to say, to almost be a rebuke of, you know what? No, hard can be fun. You know, it might not mm-hmm. be fun for everyone, but it, it can be fun for a type of gamer. Even in like Diablo and World of Warcraft, like every RPG these days also wants to let you respec and just reset all your skills and you still get all your skill points and just pick new skills and you're fine. Like you just experiment and it's really more of a sandbox to play in than it is a locked in like choices that you made over a period of time. So maybe maybe the limiting factor here right the economy of it as ashton was talking about making it fun for me is making it special in some way like making the choice to actually buy something feel like character progression and i think that's maybe the thing you need to do there is take away the thing that is just now so endemic to rpgs which is everything you buy in an rpg is junk 
because in two levels, there's going to be another thing, right? You're going to be level 22. And if you don't have a level 22 sword, uh, you're, even if your level 12 sword was the best sword you ever had, it was only good for five levels and then you're done with it. So maybe in this world, uh, the things you buy are forever useful to you in the same way that, you know, an, an axe would really last somebody years, their whole life, potentially. And I think RPGs have played around with this before. You'll get special kind of named weapons, you know, and this is the the axe of, of Gromathir, and you can read a little bit of history about that specific weapon, but they all tend to be like legendary weapons and stuff like that. Like, I'd, I'd love for every item in the game, you know, other than maybe like potions and stuff like that, to have that level of history behind them where, you know, if you buy a blacksmith's hammer, just so that you can do some blacksmithing, like there is a story behind it, you know, that was this dude's hammer that he used for, you know, maybe it was a a family heirloom from his father or whatever, you know, it's um, just to give everything that sense of weight and importance as well. Yeah. Even if you were able to just like sort of generate that stuff you know it would be great and obviously more special in many ways if it was authored but you know when somebody it's like every soldier uh in a game you know i think assassin's creed it's funny that i'm playing through it right now because it's the literal epitome of this of like everybody's wearing the same pair of leather boots like (laughs) they're just all over the place and like if you pick those up and you're those are aether's leather boots and he, they're six years old and they've got a funny smell to them, but uh, uh, there's something special stats wise about them that is relatively unique. What if every time a game did a random roll on something, that specific set of combinations is now baked in the system? Like it is that item that has that specific roll yeah. of stuff. You know, that would really kind of create a space of like, you know, no more God rolls. Like everybody's just like, oh, I'm just going to keep farming these leather boots until I get the perfect set of leather boots. But now you're in a space where, no, you have to craft a set of leather boots. And if the roll is really good, those are your special boots, man. And you got a story and maybe you can name them and they're yours. And it would be really cool if this was shared world too, because then you could show off H's leather boots and, and know that nobody else is going to have that exact combo of stuff. You kind of get this no man's sky feel from it as well. Right. Once you've discovered it, it's baked into the servers. I would like if NPCs would comment on things where, you know, you can uh, talk to somebody and be like, Oh, Hey, uh, those are my brother's Jordans that you're wearing right now. You know, I recognize them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Or like, Oh, maybe uh, it's it's funny. It's never been like in the fiction that somebody knows about stats, mm-hmm. and for someone to be like, "Oh, there's quite a bit of bonus health on on those uh, braces you're wearing." <laughs> that could be really fun. And you're like, "Yeah, there is a lot of health on these. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm a tank, man." All right, let's close it down. Give it a name. Oh, what would we call something that is like? It it should sound like an RPG still. How about infinite finite? <laughs> <laughs> or finite I like infinite. That actually. It reminds me of Infinity Blade, but uh, more recursive. I think that's a good one. Infinite, finite. Let's uh, let's go out with that. That came from Ashton Herman, who posted that onto our website at playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can also email us your own video game ideas, playwrightcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at playwrightcast, and we'll, uh, we'll read those on an upcoming show. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. 
And when you have time, why don't you go check out the other shows on the Canon Rinse Network? Or if you're already listening to those, head over to the Patreon, kick the network a couple bucks. It helps the literal hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of editing that go into all of these shows throughout the year. It's a really big deal and it keeps the network going. So to take us out of the show today, like you established a couple of weeks ago, I have a redacted video game for you. Oh, the tables have turned. Okay. All right. I think I'm ready. <laughs> I do like this. This is a fun little game to you know go out on the show on. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a little bit scared right now. So it's, right, well, it's a good feeling. This one, uh, I don't think it's too difficult, but we'll, we'll see. Okay. So as a fearless redacted with attitude, your goal <laughs> is to rack up the redacted before your shift ends. It's a race against the clock as you pick up redacted and white knuckle it through redacted and redacted to their various redacted to keep that <sighs> meter collecting redacted. You've got to take the fastest redacted possible. Even if it means bending the redacted laws just a little. So get a grip on the redacted sharpen your senses and don't lose your cool. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm, it seems like it's a workplace sort of thing where I, <laughs> there's laws that would be in in place what type of I, I don't yeah i know that you just to throw a wrench into the mix these could be like laws of physics and stuff as well so you know don't don't limit yourself give me the first line of it again as a fearless redacted with attitude your goal is to rack up the redacted before your shift ends the goal is to rack up the redacted before your shift ends. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't help but feel like now you've given me a hint with thinking of it. So that that almost makes me go... Or I might have been trying to throw you off the trip. Right. <laughs> well, that would be very mean. That almost puts me in like Aperture Science Laboratories mm. sort of uh, headspace to think of like, oh, you know, robots that are... It's n But in terms of workplace comedies, it doesn't... I don't think it's like Job Simulator because that's that doesn't necessarily have a goal it's more of a place space right. i'm feeling like this could be overcooked it's nope. a race against the clock as you pick up redacted and white knuckle it through redacted and redacted to their various redacted there's there's a lot missing from that sentence and it doesn't <laughs> read that well but i like um, the emotions that come through there <laughs> for sure white knuckle all right i'm gonna guess uh that this is overcooked no not quite <gasps> not not entirely on the run track but uh it's not not overcooked okay do i get one more guess or is it what yeah keep going i don't care <laughs> <laughs> we probably should establish rules around this part of it okay <laughs> so it's this is like a specific i'm picking up redacted and white knuckling it to their redacted redacted i'm trying trying to think of a game where i'm like picking things up <laughs> rearranging them this is not one of the Wiggling Joes. I know that. Um, uh, I'm stuck. What is it? Uh, maybe if I read it in a different voice, oh. it would be useful. Yes. Hey, hey, as a fearless redacted with attitude, your goal is to rack up the redacted <laughs> before your shift ends. Does that help <laughs> at all? <laughs> it, I mean, it, it helped emotionally, but I don't know if it helped me with my answer. Uh, you're doing a character from it? Uh, so to speak. <laughs> Or the narrator, perhaps? The narrator, yeah. yeah. As a fearless redacted. Oh, it's a race against the clock as you pick up redacted and white knuckle it through redacted. 
Oh, man. Oh, what game has a narrator? Uh, can you give me a platform? Um, well, mm, let's see. Original platform would be uh, arcade. Oh, <laughs> this isn't. Um, oh, my God. Is this um, the what is the bartending game that I'm thinking of? No, it's a little too old. That's too old. I think okay. it's something newer. <laughs> As a <laughs> redacted, pick up redacted and white knuckle it to redacted. God, I'm I'm stuck. I'm stuck. No, I need to know. I lost. <laughs> You're gonna drive yourself crazy when uh, when this comes through. Oh God. Um, arcade. That should be. That's a massive hint. It was. Um, it eventually found its way onto the Dreamcast, GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. Oh. <gasps> Is this crazy taxi? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, the Dreamcast thing really unlocked it for me. You're picking <laughs> picking up passengers and you're uh, ignoring traffic laws. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, that was a, hey, that was a pretty good crazy taxi guy. <laughs> oh, that's Jeez. fun. Well, <laughs> context is really important. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. Bye.